Welcome to episode 2 of Sadev's Art of Conversing and I'm your host, Lasikin. As a result of the coronavirus, government lockdowns and work-from-home measures have severely impacted many small businesses. Being constantly bombarded with stories about businesses trying to stay open is not easy to stomach either. Young people are losing their jobs due to cost-cutting measures and are being forced into unimaginable circumstances. Both sides are severely conflicted here. On one end, we have employees hoping their bosses won't fire them and on the other side, we have business owners trying to protect jobs. The dichotomy of the struggle is tense. It has left us in pensive. Some of us have used this time to find new ways. On tonight's episode, I have someone who is synonymous with great food in Madras. A mechanical engineer who decided to cook and is today a very successful restaurateur in the city. Be it his simple desserts or his spectacular savory, he's only left us wanting for more. Ladies and gents, please welcome my next guest, Sandesh Reddy, or as us Chennaiites like to call him, Sandy. One. Uh, so Sandy, you were telling me, like, you know, do you catch yourself using anything what you learned from your engineering days today while cooking? So, dude, interestingly, I hardly went to school or classes during <laughs> engineering days. So it's not like it made, I mean, it's like I've uh, great, I'm armed with a lot of knowledge as far as engineering is concerned. Uh-huh. Um, interestingly, you uh, you do see yourself using a lot of like uh, cross-domain expertise, especially when you're building restaurants, not necessarily mm-hmm. cooking, but when you're, when you're building restaurants yourself. So... That's probably the, you know, the area which I, I, I do definitely rely a little bit on my engineering background, uh, more from a problem-solving standpoint, but not from a knowledge standpoint. Okay, okay. Because, um, but so what about like... You, sorry, if somebody comes and tells you, you know, you need to use this equipment because it's got this, uh, and then you look at other possibilities because of how some of these things behave, I guess, in some sense. But uh, look, that's also because of just obsessively researching anything that I do. I don't think I've learned any of that from engineering school. Because <laughs> I was curious to know, maybe like in terms of maybe some advanced cooking technique or something as your engineering background ever like come into play. Like, oh, this is how you actually, I don't know, sous vide or whatever. <laughs> but if, that, if there was an engineering degree that would have made sense, uh, I guess it would have been you know, learning chemical engineering of some sort, um, ah, okay, because I think that's sense. the most relevant one, um, you know, in the cooking world. So I, even, even physics, I guess, is not really, yeah. I mean, while it is important, but I think it was mostly chemistry that, that goes into the making of food. Which makes a lot so, of sense. What kind of engineer were you? Mechanical. Oh, mechanical. <laughs> because mechanical engineers that go astray a lot, I guess. <laughs> so true, man. I've totally heard that before. <laughs> so, Sandy, like, you know, like, uh, what, what was your uh, typical day in the life like for you pre-corona? Since that's like a time period now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, honestly, it, not, it really hasn't changed that much. I, I've okay. always been... I mean, I work late. Um, mm. Actually, I spend a lot of time reading and researching late in the night. Mm-hmm. I also unwind fairly late. Um, so I normally came from like maybe 11 to 1. Uh-huh. Uh, that's my way of de-stressing. And then I uh-huh. go back to doing reading and researching for a couple of hours before I go to bed. Uh-huh. Um, my mornings are usually late for most people that are, that consider 
9 a.m. late, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, it is but I do work till 3 a.m. Uh, most days, so I get uh, five, six hours of sleep. And I'm out of the house by 9.30, 9 45. Um, mm-hmm. So, we do runs of the restaurants, um, at least the ones closest to the house. Um, usually check in on production related stuff um, and uh, come back home for, for, a, for lunch and then go back into work right away, maybe between 2 and you know, 2.30 and then I'm at work till uh, 7.30, 8.00. I usually get a bite to eat at one of the restaurants every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stay on work in some way, shape or form till about 11.30 and then I'm back. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So, I mean, so I essentially... Sorry? It's the same thing even now. Um, but my days have, I think, shifted by three hours and they're so I, I'm, but I'm obviously back home a little earlier. I'm not out at work till eleven. I'm back by about like thirty. One. So Sandy, you were telling me like you know, do you catch yourself using anything what you learned from your engineering days today while cooking? So, dude, interestingly, I hardly went to school or classes during <laughs> engineering days. So it's not like it made. I mean, it's like I've uh, great. I'm armed with a lot of knowledge as far as engineering is concerned. Uh-huh. Um, interestingly, you uh, you do see yourself using a lot of like uh, cross-domain expertise, especially when you're building restaurants, not necessarily mm-hmm. cooking, but when you're when you're building restaurants yourself. So that's probably the you know the area which I I, I do definitely rely a little bit on my engineering background, uh, more from a problem-solving standpoint, but not from a knowledge standpoint. Okay. Okay. Um, but so what about like sorry if somebody comes and tells you you know you need to use this equipment because it's got this uh, and then you look at other possibilities because of how some of these things behave I guess in some sense but uh, look that's also because of just obsessively researching anything that I do I don't think I've learned any of that from engineering school because <laughs> I was curious to know maybe like in terms of maybe some advanced cooking technique or something as your engineering background ever like come into play like oh this is how you actually i don't know sous vide or whatever but if that if there was an engineering degree that would have made sense uh, i guess it would have been you know learning chemical engineering of some sort um, ah, okay, because i think that's sense. the most relevant one um you know in the cooking world so I, even, even physics, I guess, is not really... Yeah. I mean, while it is important, but I think it's mostly chemistry that, that goes into the making of food. Which makes a lot so, of sense. What kind of engineer were you? Mechanical. Oh, mechanical. <laughs> because mechanical engineers that go astray a lot, I guess. <laughs> so true, man. I've totally heard that before. <laughs> so, Sandy, like, you know, like, uh, what, what was your uh, typical day in the life like for you pre-corona? Since that's like a time period now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, honestly, it, not, it really hasn't changed that much. I, I've okay. always been, I mean, I work late. Um, mm. I spend a lot of time reading and researching late in the night. Mm-hmm. I also unwind fairly late. Um, so I normally came from like maybe 11 to 1. Uh-huh. Uh, that's how we were pressing. And then I uh-huh. go back to doing and researching for a couple of hours before I go to bed. Uh-huh. Um, my mornings are usually late for most people that are that consider you know, 9 a.m. late, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, is, it is late. But I do work till 3 a.m. Uh, most days, so I get uh, five, six hours of sleep. 
and I'm out of the house by 9.30, 9 um, mm-hmm. So we do runs of the restaurants, um, at least the ones closest to the house. Um, usually check in on production-related stuff um, and uh, come back home for, for, a, for lunch and then go back into work right away, maybe between 2 and you know, 2.30. And then I'm at work till... Uh, 7.38 I usually get a bite to eat at one of the restaurants every day mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stay on work in some way shape or form till about 11.30 and then I'm back mm-hmm. oh nice so I mean so I essentially sorry it's the same thing even now um, but my days have I think shifted by three hours and they're so I, I'm but I'm obviously back home a little earlier I'm not out at work till 11 I'm back by about 30. Um, but I'm also doing a lot of R&D work right now at home. I'm using my home kitchen to do a lot of cooking and, and testing. So that's what usually happens in the evenings. So that was actually my next question. Like, has this time given you opportunity to be like more creative and experiment with new concepts and stuff? Um, look, honestly, I think all I've done uh, over the uh, over the years is just really work on you know, creating and ideating new things. And that's literally been my role across uh, all of my restaurants and projects, no matter who my partners have been in, in this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, my role is fairly constant, which is creating, um, you know, food and, mm-hmm. you know, food content that we could scale or, you know, try and get a lot more people to experience. And that's been the focus. And that really hasn't changed much, except... In the last one year, I've had to run this, you know, this really large company that I that I that I kind of inherited, I guess, because mm-hmm. of this reverse merger. Uh, uh-huh. But that's that's been an interesting experience too. Uh, I've had a little less time to cooking, but I still cook every single day. I definitely work the line at any one of my restaurants wherever I am, at least for a few orders, just to make sure my oh, nice. my fingers uh, <laughs> my fingers <laughs> burn at the ends and. Uh, <laughs> And trying to make sure that I stay in touch with what I actually got into this business for. So I, I think that gives me a sense of, a, I guess, some semblance of a reality that I chose. So um, in, in that, I mean, apart from that, really, my, my day is actually fairly standard. It doesn't matter if it's pre-corona or post-corona. I don't know what's going to come <laughs> up after so experimentation is something that I do constantly. It's some, it's the only thing that gets me excited about waking up in the morning. It's about knowing that I had some research material that I have to continue and, and put those theories to test. Um, uh-huh. So that's usually what gets me out of bed in the morning. So it's that sense of excitement about discovering something or understanding something. Well, where do you get inspiration from or ideas when you're thinking about a new concept or a dish or whatnot? So, I mean, I, I really wish I could, I could find uh, an easy answer to that question. See, mm-hmm. look, I guess a lot of our creative, uh, you know, direction comes from what, the, to a large degree, of what the audience have been saying, right? I mean, okay. we, have, we build food for an audience and it's not, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is, be it art, be it theater, be it, you know, movies, be it food. Mm-hmm. you're actually creating something for an audience and but understanding that audience and being able to deliver for them. And then your ability to understand and create something with a perception and some anchors of something interesting mm-hmm. and being able to 
to use that i guess in some way shape or form to deliver on a on a product or an experience mm-hmm. so it's essentially it's essentially your ability to understand that and being able to deliver or come up with something interesting and unique in that sense is usually a manifestation of multiple things so i mean okay. i don't think it's i mean I, i mean i really wish there was a direction i would look in the culinary world you're always looking at what other chefs are doing too um, right, 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 but right. the idea is not to, not to recreate it right i mean it is to okay. find your own creation of a dish like for example i use nostalgia a lot so if mm-hmm. i like what um what i ate during my childhood i usually use that as a way to kind of weave it into some sort of a recipe or a dish because i believe i had a very typical uh, childhood palate Mm-hmm. Uh, of what my audience has right now so it's usually mm-hmm. so it's easier to kind of dive into that and use that as a um as an anchor to kind of work around the work around nostalgia as as a source of inspiration um but so i mean if i i'd love to follow what an eric prepare or a david chang is doing in the us but right. their sense right. of nostalgia is not maybe relevant to what we're doing at all um mm-hmm. so uh while it's exciting to see what other chefs are doing um mm-hmm. but each person's memory and each person's sense of nostalgia is quite different so mm-hmm. like i'll give you an example we did mm-hmm. like we're doing mango ice cream at batter right i mean right. the most obvious most popular mango uh, seems to be alfonso yeah. everybody talks about it yeah dude we need it growing up i don't even know what it tastes like in fact i can't even stomach it i just don't yeah. like it uh, ah. <laughs> I, I, i can't deal with it So my sense of nostalgia here is growing up in you know spending time in my grandparents place in in Andhra and eating bangenpali mango and that's the only mango that makes sense for me. Right. So right. we started an ice cream recipe with bangenpali mangoes only. So it's fresh mangoes produced cooked into a um, you know a concentrate and then we use that to make ice cream. Mhm. I'm not sure there are any references to bangenpali mango recipes anywhere you know that that is relevant to the kind of style of ice cream that we do that um, you know i in that you don't even want to get there by saying okay you have that thread of trying to find something that's uniquely that resonates with you and then mm-hmm. to use that as a, as a component of you know in a dish or an ingredient as that that you can that you like um mm-hmm. milo is another thing that i use a lot because I, i love milo, milo. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i use it's it a lot it's and yeah <laughs> <laughs> if that is if that is make something illegal it's got to probably be milo it's got to be milo dude absolutely <laughs> <laughs> but so, like yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, the creative inspiration so to speak very cool very cool because i guess i mean you're always like bombarded with ideas right in your world and it's uh, it's about making connections with that uh but yeah. my ne- yeah my ne- next thing was really like you know i i understand like even during this downtime and stuff cuz i've been seeing some uh, ways like some big like five star hotels and stuff have been trying to change their model they're like you know we'll send you all the ingredients we cook your favorite dishes with and you can start cooking them at home so my question was really like you know that the the virus has really disrupted with disruptions you know caused by the virus to the a uh, typical restaurant model do you see opportunities new opportunities rising as a result of this uh look diy kits are not new uh, okay. so somebody recently mentioned that uh, you know they they think that diy kits is all the rage right now it's not it's been right. around for 10 years right right um and 
and well i guess people are people have tried it people have tried creating mainstream businesses out of them and failed mm-hmm. uh, but right now that's the need i mean that's what people uh, you know pe- consumers are comfortable doing right right they they don't trust that's that they're ready to put into their mouths without it having to see some sort of heat application to it because it just makes it sterile i guess to some degree so to use that as a as a as a way to kind of uh, you know give people some sense of security i think it's actually not a bad idea in fact um we are probably one of the, the last guys to jump on any new trend but uh, this isn't even a trend in fact i i was i mentored one of the early uh, diy kit uh, startups in chennai called ordo many many years ago so okay okay um okay. we took some learning from there and uh, we are applying that to creating not really a diy it's a three step assembly thing um where there is a little bit of heat application required at some point just from a you know at least a perceived safety standpoint um okay, so we're okay. building like bigger on burger kits or frozen pizzas that you bake at home or mm-hmm. um something as simple as that will give you soup concentrate that you can reheat with uh, mm-hmm. with water and then you know you have your soup for your, you know you and your family so it's very simple things that anybody can cook so it's not really complex diy kits but mm-hmm. it's it honestly is i think again I, i think a supply and demand situation right i mean if there is a demand for something more people are going to start trying to figure out how to cater to that need um so it's just not five star hotels i think everybody is doing it i guess in some sense now makes sense but you know with uh, with you know even after this whole thing passes i feel like people will be paranoid to a certain level to come to restaurants and what not right so do you see the restaurant business the, the current restaurant business model kind of adapting or changing do you foresee anything because of this or as a result essentially no uh dude i've i've actually been uh you know i've been answering i'm trying to answer this question in the best way that i can and i've right. been asked this question multiple times right right and and no nobody has a fucking crystal ball right i mean we, we there's nothing for us to peer in yeah. and say that this is exactly what's going to happen yeah. we don't know yeah. Yeah. and honestly i believe that to some degree people are going to want some sense of normalcy uh, but the question is how much of risk are you willing to put your team and your staff at to right. think that it's okay to be normal i think that's the bigger question that you need to answer mm-hmm. because look like every restaurant like every you know uh industry mm-hmm. there are going to be outliers and there are going to be guys that are more mainstream and there are going to be guys that are doing something different and there's an audience for everyone um right. and i think the idea is to try and find what that niche for you is and uh, then you know build 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 for that but at the same time what we are trying to be more cognizant is about uh how will our staff react to this how will our team react to this how will our customers react to this changes by our team or with our team and what that means for the diner and what that means for the experience and seeing what are we willing to be okay with are we are we really willing to put people at harm's way so that people can fight can be normal so i think those are the questions that you know we're trying to answer uh, right now um and and i keep telling people i think i don't think we have the restaurants have the luxury of pivoting too much mm. um your overheads your structure your cost structure your staffing or are prohibitive in 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 making too many changes right 
So unless your entire model, it's like remodeling an entire restaurant to work for a new concept. I don't think. Right. I mean, right. that's building something from scratch almost, right? Right. So I, I don't know if that's really the way to go forward. Yeah. If you're going to be building new restaurants, you'll obviously try and build them more for something that's more all day, more linear in terms of uh, service models. You don't have too many hierarchies, too much touch or contact, um, because that kind of addresses a lot of these concerns. I think what we need. what we need to focus on right now uh, is just map out multiple scenarios i think think trying to figure out what could happen um, maybe two or three scenarios that are relevant for your business and then see how you can address concerns and if those concerns arise be able to implement those those changes you know immediately i think that's what's um, really really relevant i guess in, in i mean in terms of possibilities of how things can play out there is no um you know one rule or one standard formula that's going to work across the board because even restaurants are different kinds of restaurants do different things so there is no real formula for that kind of blanket you know covers every problem that right. that could right. right so i mean i i look this is the the same thing that we are doing i'm not saying that uh-huh. this is you know gospel in any way shape or form but this is what right. we are trying to work so i think given that uh, you know circumstance i think we, we, we this is what we're advising to friends and family that are also in the business saying well this is what i'm doing this is not necessarily what not works right. for you mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, and people usual answers are like oh just contactless ordering i mean is it that that's a see look we're going to leapfrog technology the technology part right now i mean all around the world people are already using apps while they're sitting in restaurants to order right. food because Uh, mm-hmm. possibly right? people are trying to gravitate towards that you know a pandemic or a crisis of any sort usually helps leapfrog uh you know you with technology in some way shape or form because it helps mm-hmm. you map the situation better i think that's going to happen with uh, you know table based ordering systems or uh, you know phone based ordering mechanisms so like you enter a restaurant people are instead of giving you an app they're probably going to give you a barcode to sc- to scan on your phone to see it Uh, and probably that's going to turn into something more interactive. Um, these are th- things that we have already worked on in the past. We've we've just had so much resistance with customers adopting. Um, we didn't really think it was going to be worth our while forcing it down their throat. But I think that's going to change now. I think a lot of people are going to use technology uh, a little more openly. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. I mean, if you think that people are not going to come to restaurants to sit down and eat a meal, I think that's being a little presumptuous. Uh, when I say you, I mean. There is a uh, sense of you know presumption that you know there's it's it's going to be all uh, you know this sense of doom that's going to prevail to the industry. I people have to eat. People want to celebrate. People want a exactly, sense of normal. Exactly. Exactly. It's just something that's never going to change. Um, uh, well, you might not see as many people, but there is going to be at least that I think clear the playing field a little bit. Um, If you're good and you're relevant, I think you will find an audience that will be able to do it. But uh, do you think, like you know, restaurants might uh, start enforcing like social distancing and stuff, like between they have to be a minimum distance between each table, or will you like half your I, yeah, uh, occupancy rate or something? Like that? Yeah, I mean, look. If that happens, that's a death knell for restaurants, right? I mean, okay. if you have a if you have a restaurant that seats sixty people, your entire your cost economics have been worked out for a sixty seater restaurant. Mm-hmm. You're paying real estate for a sixty seat restaurant, 
Exactly. You exactly. can't expect that place to start making money because there is now a, an opportunity where you can... Look, by the way, if you're going to put that social distancing thing of either one meter between between tables, um, if that goes into effect, a 60-seater uh-huh. restaurant will not become a 30-seater restaurant. It will probably become a 20-seater restaurant. Uh, okay, because yeah, the wow. geometry yeah. of restaurants are not yeah. as yeah. Yeah. you would imagine, right? Right, you will right, have to right, move right. tables around. You will have to give space to circulation. You can't just randomly place tables as well. So you're you're actually talking about operating with maybe about a third of the capacity um, mm-hmm. of what restaurants would would operate under, and the real estate just wouldn't make sense. Um, totally, and, totally. And, and online sales and online aggregators are are definitely not the future of restaurant businesses, right? I mean, because I think that everybody is out to fend for themselves and mm-hmm. people have realized that the online aggregator margin that, that, that you're willing to spend out, you're, you're paying for all that infrastructure anyways. So, mm-hmm. so if you're building a pure delivery-only model, maybe, but if you're, if, you're focused, if you're a restaurant that's already got seating and dining and if you're talking about incremental revenue, it's fine, but, uh, but that's not the case. It's not like restaurant revenues have gone through the roof. In fact, they've taken away from daily walk-ins and some of that is translated into into um, you know online sale, and that's that's actually detrimental to the business because you have this massive cost overhead, you have this mm-hmm. labor, overhead, you have uh, you know this this investment that's gone in um, that's not reaping the right kind of return on on what you put in. Um, so, given that circumstance, I don't I don't think the online aggregator business is really uh, and it's a nice to have. But it's definitely not a. It's it's not the it's not the thing that's going to change the industry going into the future. So, I think we'll. I think, I think a lot of this will get a hard reset. Even these think the thinking, once there's a vaccine or a, or yeah yeah, in, in the horizon. There. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I'm just thinking that that's what's going to give you give you more sense of normalcy, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, normalcy than than mm-hmm. any of these. Look, if, if, if restaurants open in the meantime and they say, well, dine-in is allowed, uh, look what's happening in, in the U.S., Germany, um, yeah. in, in, I would say Southeast Asia to some degree is slightly different than the West. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure which way our audience is going to behave. But look, half of the restaurants in 23 states in the U.S. are open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Uh, but there are no diners. Yeah. People are still not comfortable going out and eating because there is yeah. no sense of what could happen if they get the virus. There is no yeah. answer to that. Yeah. Um, while people say business owners are clamoring for you know reopening of, of jobs, but you would reopen and do what? Who are you going to serve? Um, in fact, if anything, you're going to be incurring a larger you know, you know cost to, to staying open and, and alive. Um, and I think that's that's the real problem. If if you ask me now, probably might be a better time to use the real estate and infrastructure that restaurants have to try and help other people. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a clothing business. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you have some walk-ins um, and people are, I mean, sometimes people just want to buy underwear. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't live in old underwear for two or three months of your life, right? I mean, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. Um, you, you, I'm saying even if it's like simple sweatshirts or t-shirts or whatever. I mean, you need mm-hmm. to buy some basic things that you use every day. Mm-hmm. I've been. I mean, not me. I mean, I always live in these same 15 t-shirts all my life. But ah. there are people who, who who need. I mean, it's a need. It's not. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Clothes and stuff. What are you going to do? Um, I'm saying, can we find uh, other real? I mean, the same real estate which actually has the ability to keep open to be able to sell a few other things for people. Use your channel to kind of start 
helping other businesses in the area survive i don't know um i i think those those are probably going to be more key in 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 surviving the next few months um than actually uh, opening up and saying well social distancing is in in, in you know is enforced right now and that's actually going to be counterproductive if, if you ask mm. no makes total sense but like you know but right now to adapt to the current situation guys like swiggy what are charging like 28% on each delivery right which is definitely seriously eating into the pro- into your profits and what not but actually right? the more than the profit right at 28% well i think a lot of companies are in the 20 to 25 to 30% mm-hmm. range mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything above 15% is not viable though. Mm-hmm. I mean it's not like restaurants make 30% on right. you know or this right I mean yeah 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 absolutely it's a 15% gross margin business and people don't realize that uh it's not a high margin business like people perceive it I mean and I'm so sick and tired of listening to the idli economics that uh you know it bothers me everybody fucking thinks that an idli costs 2 rupees and you know people are charging 40 rupees and I'm like well look in in the really and those of business the sambar and chutney are actually more expensive than the idli itself and that's the truth yeah yeah between uh, sort of sense yeah and, and and also you're not taking into account that the guy that makes the idli and the amount of people the people that serve it the people that clear the tables the people that wash the plates the people that are you know uh, making sure that your cars are parked in a in a in a in a, in a safe environment your electricity your cost of rental the infrastructure cost of keeping those people that are serving you fed and 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 sheltered there is a massive cost to all of this mm-hmm. and the margins are so low you need to do some crazy amount of business to even say you know to turn that into a real business mm-hmm. that's the case you tell me if it really makes sense to say the cost of idli is 4 rupees or charging 40 rupees and your margins yeah. 9% i mean yeah. <laughs> it just makes it makes no sense to me no sense at all no sense at all but you know that that i've always wondered this andy like you know in in most restaurants around the world right uh they make a good percentage of the money of their profits through alcohol sales right mm-hmm. right so but in a in a city like over here where it's not that easy to obtain an alcohol license i mean most of the restaurants you own don't really serve booze but you've been still managing to stay afloat with all of them but you know but at the same time because of this it's not very easy also for new guys to come and start restaurants because it may not be as viable no because they're not able to sell enough or make enough profit i guess yes and no i think it's about the kind of format you choose okay um that look delis don't serve alcohol i mean and they're like yeah. even in even in the us right uh, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. they don't really sell that much alcohol the dependence on alcohol may be 10 to 15% Mm-hmm. it's probably the higher margin part of it because there's no processing involved so mm-hmm. you're opening mm-hmm. a bottle and pouring something and that's where the margins are but you start mm-hmm. building cocktails it's like exactly like rest i mean serving food i guess right? okay okay, um, okay okay so the the point of the the part of the business that's actually but what it does is it takes up your your average ticket size you come and eat one mm-hmm. dish but you left right right right, so right 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 that's actually where you make your margins um but in in that sense it's not I mean, it is tough. I mean, it it makes you know the businesses that we do in Chennai for the amount of money we pay for real estate, uh, quite uh, you know, it's actually not really sick. I mean, it's quite it's quite stupid actually. I mean, there's no real reason for us to be paying the prices that we are for real estate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, 
as opposed to the amount of number of walk-ins we get in metros for example mm-hmm. um this makes no sense uh, but i think that's the bigger issue than than alcohol being available or not because look it's a problem for you it's a problem for everybody in the industry it's not a problem yeah. unique right yeah, so yeah, i yeah, yeah. the audience also understands that so they probably drink at home and come to eat uh <laughs> while well, it's not it's not the ideal thing but it it's yeah. happening right yeah so you create formats which kind of circumvent the need for alcohol which is why i like cafes um the mm. majority of your business is during the day the fuel there is coffee, coffee. um and uh you know you have incremental things that you can add to that mix like dessert mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh which is why we chose that that vertical and we've kind of stuck to our guns in that part um mm-hmm. we do but but look for for all of that i really like the vibe at a radio room or a brasa as well uh absolutely yeah yeah it changes the dynamic it it just puts people in a better frame of mind uh the the vibes nicer uh, and yeah. if you can put food and alcohol in it i think that kind of also has a very different you know uh experience tone to it and that's that's the trade off i guess right um i don't drink personally so mm-hmm. whether 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 we have alcohol or not really it doesn't make a difference to me but i think that what it does to the the meal experience is it complements it in a way that it becomes really uh, you know more rounded i guess as an experience more rounded, yeah 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 which makes total sense but like you know the so, chenny rice sorry go on so so i mean i guess to answer your question yes it is challenging but it's not really that much of a problem hmm well the that which makes sense but you know i i i've noticed off late the chennai restaurant scene has definitely been becoming better you see a lot more uh, a lot of new offerings and what not what are your thoughts on this like do you like do you think that we'll one day become uh, more of a specialty food city than just what we have will we become that global food city because chennai is a great food city especially for local food for global food it's uh, you know there are not too many i i Look, I think Chennai is a city of definitely above average to begin with. Right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Like a Bangalore can survive on mediocrity. That's yeah. not the case with Chennai because yeah. they have that much volume of people walking into their restaurants that a mediocre restaurant. I mean, things that are popular that you walk in, the food's terrible. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But who am I to tell you? I'm no expert. Uh, <laughs> it's my about, about food. Yeah. Um, and people different people want different things i mean what what i like it's like trying to convince my mother to eat sushi right she, yeah. she like it's the worst thing that she can ever eat it's <laughs> cold fish it's raw fish and cold rice which you know was in indian cooking but that's not the benchmark of what what a good or bad restaurant is but i guess in, in bangalore what happens is you can get away with anything because of the volume of people that are there uh, which also i guess makes it difficult because there are that many restaurants opening because they think it's right. a viable Right. There's such a chance there. See, with Madras, I think, I think we the restaurants that have survived are definitely above average, at least, um, and most of them are good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's what's nice about the city. People find if they know that there is value, they would. It's not a price sensitive market like Bangalore or parts of Hyderabad, also for for example. So you know, in, in that sense. Chennai is. I mean, growth is inevitable. Look, people are traveling, people are coming back, people want to experience things that things that they do mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. holidays. So, I guess in that standpoint, there is a there is definitely um, you know scope for it to become a more 
global cuisine centric uh, city um and i see that happening sooner rather than later um and it's already happening right i mean i think we yeah. are seeing some fantastic new restaurants coming up mm-hmm. uh, and that's changing the the entire dining landscape to a large degree mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no which is so true sandy because i remember back in the day while growing up and stuff you know if you wanted to go for a really nice meal or what not you have to go to one of your fancy five star hotel restaurants or what not the whole concept of getting amazing banging food at a stand alone restaurant was rare or almost unheard of and 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 you know off late you've definitely been seeing a lot of stand alone servings way better quality food at a much more affordable price and that's and it's, i don't know it's so refreshing honestly That's true. Like and I, I was actually about to, I was about to uh, chide with you on uh, uh-huh. saying, said, you know, if you had to get go back when you're growing up, you want to get good food. I said you had to leave Ananagar and come to Chennai for it. Exactly, man. <laughs> exactly, dude. <laughs> I had to leave yeah. my little glorified village for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. So true. Uh, but dude, so I'm going to, you know, come to the last question, really, the whole thing. Um, what are you craving to eat the most right now? <laughs> Biryani, dude, and actually, okay. my mother brought me some biryani for lunch. So, yes, man. I'm gonna get started for the day. Nice, nice, uh, nice. Yeah, but, but dude, my biggest craving is right now bread, and I've been getting an overdose of it. I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been doing different things, and so never a shortage of good bread at home. So, my craving per se is being taken care of. <laughs> Usually, I get it almost immediately. Too. So, my cravings are not really things that last too long. <laughs> But too long. It's a good thing you're a chef, man. <laughs> um, but uh, do you have anything to you know to leave our listeners with? Anything that you're working on or any whatever? Um, yeah. So we're we're actually working on a new format for Sandy's, uh, which okay. has been in the work a couple of years now. It's called Sandy's Toastry. Okay. uh so it's this and that's where the whole bread thing is also kind of i guess something we've uh-huh. picked up uh-huh. so we're doing this uh this 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 more fun bakery cafe like more cafe than bakery but a bakery nice. cafe uh nice. a vibe um with a lot of dessert and um coffee and great coffee uh great coffee yeah because we're working with uh you know beachwell to some of its specific roasts we've also got oh, nice. the first set of nice. to india um uh, clear nice. some of the best coffee machines in the world if not the uh-huh. best uh-huh that's clear especially the first in south oh. asia oh it's right. beautiful it's man wow <laughs> so we we working on versions of that uh, nice. uh for the restaurants as well uh-huh. um so it's so we're definitely going to up the, the quality of coffee and the coffee experience at all of our stores so Those are things that we are definitely working on, and also obviously a whole new range of products at French Loaf. Uh, once us, mm-hmm. once we start getting most of our our team back in the in the bakery, uh, a lot of them are dispersed and scattered, and we're operating with really a skeletal team. So we're only doing essentials at this point, and I'm hoping that changes to a large degree. So. That's that's awesome because like I feel like Chennai has really lacked like a good coffee place. Because right now, I mean, like Starbucks kind of offers like the ambiance of a nice coffee place where you can get work done, but the coffee there, you know, let's start even like comment about the coffee there, <laughs> and it's really and it's crazy. Like it's so hard to get good coffee in a city that's obsessed with coffee. You know? Look, I think our obsession is with milk and sugar and less with coffee. With milk and sugar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that obsession with uh, milk that tastes of coffee. Um, but I think that's changing. Um, I think that's changing too. So I'm, I'm hoping that we get uh, we get our, our our share of good coffee right now. Anyways, once this whole thing is over, we should catch up for a cup of coffee, dude. Uh, we, we have some going. My the machine that I have at home is uh, is actually one of the nicest profiling machines, coffee profiling machines that you can get on the market. you can do three cups of coffee back to back and with the same bean same grind and then have three completely different flavors extracted from it so it's it's, it's extremely fascinating i um, really want to check this out man because i'm actually in the market right now to i was thinking i was like right now i use the uh, what do you call it, like a mocha pot but i was like i think that, i need to like uh, switch to like the pour over method because you get like a real good cup of black coffee but It's, yeah, I think the porovas. What is really awesome about porovas is that it's not. It's. I think it just extracts the. It in, increases the flavor range, so you're able mm-hmm. to taste mm-hmm. a lot more things. It's mm-hmm. not like an intense coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great. I mean, if you like drinking long blacks, there's nothing like it. I love espresso. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the intensity and the concentrated flavors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I mean, if if I was to look for it, I would like a mocha pot over a porova because of the kind of coffee that I like drinking. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I think them is better, mm-hmm. but if you wanted a lot of coffee, like if you like drinking, taking smaller sips over a period of time, yeah. uh, from a fresh standpoint, obviously pour over is 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 extremely different, and you can get a, like a massive range of flavors, right? Right, uh, right, right, right. But, but for me, a good espresso machine is 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 very very key. Uh, yeah, and uh, just being able to do pressure profiling and using you know volumetric controls to try and extract mm-hmm. uh, concentrations like like some the coffee that i drink is like drinking almost like like really dark chocolate um, yeah, that's yeah, the best yeah. sort of my like closer like, closest, like a dark uh, to medium roast rather than a medium roast per se uh no it's more medium um okay. because the darker you go the less acidic the the roast is right 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 so you don't get any of the fruit notes okay so which is why it's just it's unfortunate that south indian filter coffee is usually extremely dark roast because yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no minds that produce the fruity notes at all so it's just really dark roasted it's just bitter um mm-hmm. and with a lot of body and that's what they focus on when they do uh, south indian filter coffee but uh and and that's why you have to add and the quality of the milk makes such a difference it's just not the coffee yeah uh, yeah 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 so, I, so it, it, Well, that's a. I guess that's a whole different conversation. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, coffee is a bit of an obsession. It is. It is. I, I love my coffee, dude. And we should definitely do that coffee thing as soon as this whole absolutely nonsense is done. Well, Sandy, yeah. thank you so much for talking to us, man. It was great well, talking dude, to you. Dude, this is really the most fun I've had at doing one of these interviews. So thank you. Uh, I'm glad, dude. I'm glad it worked out. You've been the third person I've interviewed my entire life, so I'm glad it's working out. You seem like a hero. You felt like a kick ass, kick ass. Thank you so much, dude. Appreciate All right, it, man. man. Take care. Take See care. You. Bye. Bye.